The Transforming Society podcast is brought to you by Bristol University Press and Policy Press. In episodes covering a wide range of social issues, we speak to authors and editors about their books and journals to get to grips with the story their research tells and look at the specific ways in which it could transform society for the better. I'm Jess Miles, and in this episode, I'm speaking to Ruth Patrick, Senior Lecturer in Social Policy at the University of York, and Caroline Rice and Tayaba Siddiqui, who are participants in the COVID Realities Project, a Nuffield Foundation-funded project to share the experiences of life on a low income during COVID-19. A Year Like No Other, which is published by Policy Press, is the book that brings together the work and ideas from the project. Um, There's a quote in the book, and one participant says, perhaps people can learn from our voices. I'd be happy to be a whisper in history if in the future no one is left fearing homelessness or starvation. The social security system failed people during COVID-19, so we need to develop ideas together for what needs to change and why. It's by listening to the people impacted that we'll best be able to do this. Welcome everyone. Thank you very much for taking this time on a Tuesday evening to record a Transforming Society podcast. No problem. Um, So I wanted to start by talking to Caroline and Tyaba, who are participants in the project. Please, can you tell us a bit about COVID realities, your experience, and why you wanted to take part in this? Uh, So if I start first, uh, I'm a single parent and started working during pandemic. Uh, It's so so many experiences suddenly at the same time. Uh, A shock uh, as a single parent, cost of living suddenly, and everything just changed in a flip, like, you know, mm, yeah, paused, sure. as such paused. And it's it's very hard. It's still recovering. But recovering from pandemic, we are going into cost of living crisis. So it's it's mixed. It's still, we are, we are still there in yeah. other way. Yeah. Uh, people are, like, I'm working in NHS. People are dying or still in hospital. So it was, uh, it was too much to take in. Mm-hmm. And it's affected so many people's mental health, my mental health. And and I know myself as I have a voice. So I want a platform where I can speak and share my experience and what's going on. And said so people, other people can listen and learn from it, or they will know that we are not in the same boat, but our situation are same. Right. And this is how I joined the COVID realities. Oh, thank you. How about you, Caroline? Um, I guess when I started my journey with COVID realities, I was a registered chat minder. So I was a chat care provider. Um, and there was so much going on in the media about um the lack of child care and its affordability and stuff. I am um, being a registered chat minder, I had um I was living on a low income myself, you know, it was like <clears throat> um oh, I could get my voice in here, you know, and try and make a difference um, and be part of something bigger. And again, because I'm from Northern Ireland, um, the opportunity was that it was all online. It was all through Zoom. So it was yeah. more accessible to myself. Um, as a person from Northern Ireland, we find sometimes that things are outside our remit yeah. um, because everything involves traveling, whereas this was all 
user friendly. It was all as accessible as it can be, considering um, our internet accessibility and stuff. Um, and it was the best, you know, of to me both worlds for me mm. at that time. Yeah. Um, what can you just tell us? What dates this research was done between? I think was it or the period of time we're talking about is from the beginning of the pandemic through to April 2021. Yes, yeah, so it kind of um yes, yeah, so the diaries that we that and the book covers that kind of first year. So it started properly like May June 2020, and then right the next year. But as Caroline and Tyburn, I'm sure we'll all talk about later. Yeah. The project just kept running <laughs> because yes. the issues that Tayabo and Carol, you know, these issues haven't gone away. So we actually, um, because we could have come to this, but there was that temporary increase to universal credit, but that yeah. was then withdrawn last October. And so as a project and as a, a group working together, we wanted to continue to document those experiences. And so we sort of got an extension to oh, okay. carry on. So yeah, so it, so it, yeah. It, I mean, the the COVID realities didn't formally end till this summer. Okay, great That's a project. So yeah. yeah, just getting the content. The, so the stories in the book are roughly the first year of the yeah. pandemic, aren't they? Yeah. Um, Tyba, can you tell us a bit more about the experiences you've you've had through taking part in COVID realities, and also what you've learned from others involved in the project? Uh, so overall experience is incredible and learned a lot uh, as i said that i'm not the only one and sharing the ideas or my experience listening to other people uh, it gives me hope and yeah. i feel like i'm supported and i don't need to go anywhere you know you are on zoom everybody's like a family now we know each other we are very close to each other Oh, really? So you've, and I suppose you've stayed like, in touch through the work that's carrying yeah, on now. Yeah. yeah, so we met we'll four Nike or sometimes uh, monthly. So we know each other. We know our situation. Uh, we do give respect to our views. Okay, everybody is same. And learning a lot, like, okay, I am depressed or I'm struggling mentally, but then some other person give me a hope or mm -hmm. I learn from their experience. Oh, I can do that. I can try that. So it's, it's still keep it's it's keeping us going on going on and on, and it's non-stop. Yeah. And sometimes we share. Okay, today I don't want to talk in that meeting. I just want to listen. So I have my space. Nobody disturb me. Or like, okay, I can today I can listen. Mm. Or sometimes you just want to take it out, and you just said it in the group. Yeah, within boundaries, everybody's listening and come out with ideas or support or if you did something they just clap for you it's like it's like a really? family like you can't meet your family due to covid and this situation but here the people who are just like family and friends for you that's amazing um caroline i think you've talked about this quite a lot already but what was there anything else that kind of motivated you to get into and stay involved in the project <clears throat> Um, I guess as I suppose as we got into the project, I could see the value in it. You know, um, you know, my confidence has grown um throughout the whole part project. Um, I would speak on the radio, I've been on the TV and news reports and stuff. You know, and it is, it has put a fire in my belly. Um. Oh, really good. Yeah. Yeah. To um keep going. Um, I have 
I refuse to wear the stigma, you know, of living on a low income now. And I've just said, to yeah. them, you know, it's it's our government's um stigma and it's just it's their shame. Um, because I work, you know, but yeah. yes, like Taya, but I'm I'm a single mum, but you know, at the end of the day we don't make them choices to be single parents, you know, and we shouldn't be judged on that. But you know, we've made really good friendships, you know, throughout the yeah, whole sounds like it. project, you know, and the diary itself, you know, we'd go on and enter your diary. It was it was a wee bit of a safe space. It was like a venting room that we could really yeah. vent, you know, our frustrations with what was going on, you know. Um, I suppose it really highlights, you know, it, it gave us the opportunity to highlight the bigger issues, you know, the bigger societal issues yeah. around having a low income, you know, and Hopefully it'll go a long way to breaking a wee bit of that stigma. Yeah, for sure. And that's what we need to kind of keep doing now, isn't it? I suppose that's why we want to do this podcast and anything else that happens is just to keep keep that going. I love that fire, fire in the belly. I think more people need a bit more of that. <laughs> um, Ruth, um, everything about this project and the book has been based on participation and co-production. So can you tell us a bit about your methods, especially that it was all happening when everyone was at home in lockdown? Um, yeah, and it seems like quite an obvious question, but kind of how did the way you worked in lockdown kind of, why was it important to work in that way? Yeah, and I think it kind of, um, and apologies, you said, didn't you, Jess, in the intro that we're all doing this on the Tuesday night and I'm doing it and I can hear the children <laughs> in the background I think we've all got children in the background haven't we here yeah no apologies for that (laughs) we'll see which children make the the loudest noise but but yeah I think what was really interesting and it's something that both Tiber and Callan really touched on is how some of the methods that we used because we were in a pandemic they actually opened up new possibilities that we're now still working with today when we're you know some of those lockdown conditions have kind of shifted so I guess like I mean, I could take spend the next hour talking about the methods, but everyone <laughs> we'd all go to sleep. But but I think the most important thing to say is that when right from the start of the project, we really we like identified like a need to understand what life was going to be like for um families on a low income in the context of the pandemic. Yeah. But we wanted to do that in a way that was participatory. So we weren't interested in you know us trying to I don't know do interviews or speak to people and then just go away and write it up and you know so we really wanted to do something that was a collaboration and was a partnership and that was kind of that was that was the absolute starting point for the whole project and then I think that the methods kind of emerged from that like starting point and one of the things that was kind of that we developed was this um online platform and we worked really closely with a web developer called Tom um, Flannery that we still work with who's really integral as well to the project and he helped us and also with participants as well who were involved in that design stage getting feedback on um, we created this kind of like online space where people can log in and as Caroline and Tyra talked about they could leave online diaries so whenever and however they wanted so and those um those dies were just completely open. There was no um kind of parameter set on what was and wasn't um to be covered in them. But then we also developed this um kind of tool called like our online big question of the week, our big question mm-hmm. of the week. And these were questions that uh, a member of the research team or one of the participants 
would pose through like a short video and then participants would get them through the online dashboard and they could reply in whatever way they they wanted so they could reply in writing um in text or by video we did have problems didn't we um caroline type with the transcription software so people would respond in video and then there'd be this auto transcription that wasn't oh no. you'd, you'd get the <laughs> yeah. we got there and that was part in some ways it was um inspired by you know the the mass the national observation the mass archive yeah. work that was done in the second world war so it was this idea of building this understanding of kind of lives lived through sort of remarkable times but the other thing that we developed that was really um integral to the project was our big ideas meetings and these were the sort of monthly online meetings that take place over zoom where we could come together and talk about what what was happening what was kind of most important but really critically they were like our decision making forums and mm. where we developed oh, okay. together recommendations for change and as Caroline and Tyber have kind of both mentioned already in different ways what was remarkable about that was that suddenly created a place where we could come together from across the UK online in quite affordable ways but we'd yeah. never like I've been doing sort of participatory research for years and years and I've always had this ambition oh but I, I, I want to get people together I don't want to just talk to people in Leeds or talk, go then go and talk to people in London I wanted to have those conversations between Leeds and London and suddenly this the conditions of the pandemic made that possible um yeah and then we did like I'll stop now but we also did tons of other stuff around like arts-based methods as well so they were often led by kind of things participants wanted to do more of and some of those are kind of fed through into the book so we did zine making together oh I we love did, the zine um, writing workshops yeah the zine I is what a great way of kind of getting the point across and there's artwork from the zine in the book isn't there yeah exactly and then there's also we did um a bit not like a podcast they're shorter but we did audio recordings as well with a sound artist and then we we that was a way of really pushing out some of the key messages to disseminate sort of short audio clips um that shared kind of key findings or, or key key kind of they were almost well I don't know Caroline type how would you describe them those they almost had they were just they weren't just sound bites but they were kind of capturing a moment weren't they or of people's comment yeah 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 because we had there was short they're like we bursts of conversation you know and you could really I suppose they were the most emotive parts of the conversation and you can it, it, it kind of hits home like there's a few where we're laughing like I mean you know just because we're living in low income and poverty it doesn't mean that we're all doom and lime, you know because God, they need a laugh you know yeah and we did have a laugh on some of them conversations and it was really good to hear them wee bits of emotive bursts of laughter and taking the mickey out of things you know and laughing and talking under all these masks and ranting and raging you know lots of different great things but yeah they were my yeah my favorite so we had a whole series and my one of my favorite ones is this one that's called i love masks and that's the one and it's 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 one person really talking about how she loves masks because she'd go around the supermarket and under her mask she'd be going oh does that cost this much and i can't and it it was it was that Caroline's right is that humor you know it's kind of often the kind of the the analysis or the the representation of poverty it strips you know everyday lives and the reality and I think bringing yeah. that humor before was really felt really valuable and important actually that yeah that. that sounds amazing well the situation like with masks like we start getting colorful masks and we'd make it like it's necessities we make it like okay beautiful mask and i can say anything behind my mask nobody knows what i'm saying and yeah. we check 
zen making and we had animation videos ah really good yes audio recordings and you can share and our children shared it they they participate in the zen making workshops the really? that we always get a pack that's the so cool and some and uh, for uh, it's very important to share because it's very yummy we get uh, a monthly a pack Uh, for the meeting, it's co- coffee, tea, chocolates, notebook. So this is I, all part of like. I read about the snack pack mm-hmm. in the book, and it's like I don't know if you got people together in a meeting, you'd put some biscuits on the table, and I suppose it's like replicating that, isn't it? Yeah, it was actually a wee bit of a bonus because when it came through our door, our children seen it. My my eleven year old loved it coming through the door. Oh, there's a pen. Oh, I'd have been tempted to hide it from the kids. <laughs> no, 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 no hiding. No hiding these envelopes. She, my daughter knew what they were, and she was picking out the wee Kit Kat, the wee bar, going, "They're mine first, guys." Yeah, yeah. But, my chocolate is gone. Uh, my gloves are gone. I this time we got gloves, and it's gone. It's everything is with my son. Or oh, I, I only get uh, the notebook and pen. Oh, and wow. Yeah, <laughs> but this is all kind of innovative stuff in a way, isn't it? And hopefully you'll be able, you'll be able to like carry on and use this kind of method method more in other research. Um, where was I? So Caroline and Tyba, moving on. Well, it'd be nice to talk about the book quite specifically, mm-hmm. and it features so many stories and covers so many aspects of people's experiences. We can't. Um, do it justice here really but are there moments or stories or themes that felt really significant to you guys uh yes uh, I'm sure there are lots <laughs> yeah, when you read the book there are so many stories you can relate with and because they are real story you know it's it's happening it's they are not the only one and that's the best part about the book it's painful when you mm. read it because you can imagine what's going on Yeah, and at the same time, especially uh, when people are talking about this uh, experience as a single parent, yeah. struggling with money, job, uh, no childcare, shoe, and also uh, people with disability, mm. they have more issues. You know. Yeah. So it's unlimited, and the book did the justice. You have yeah. to read it. Anybody yeah. need to. yes definitely yeah and it is a hard read isn't it but um it it does capture an awful lot of different experiences mm-hmm. how about you caroline i don't think i can pull any significant out of it and to me the book is you know it's we're we're all living in poverty and low income but our experiences are all completely different you know um something might pop up and you'll go oh that's familiar to me you know whereas something else might pop up to somebody else and go oh that's touching a wee bit close to me you know yeah when I read it it's just to me it's just everybody's individual experiences it's their reality you know and yeah. they're all significant yeah you know, true and every person that reads it they may pick different bits out but in the end of the day it's our reality you know and it's And actually, maybe that's a bad question because to pick out one kind of is not the point of it, is it really? It's to, it's it's just, to share yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's the emotional baggage that you can kind of read between mm. the lines. You know, is the emotional yeah. baggage that every person 
carries yeah. within the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is a lot about mental health in the book. And I think that one positive outcome of the pandemic is that, I don't know if there still is, but there was, and hopefully still is, um, quite a lot more discussion around mental health now. Um, but one of the things that struck me while I was reading the book is that it really is a privilege to be able to prioritize your mental health. Um, I think there's one story in the book that speaks about this quite well, but Caroline, would you be able to talk a little bit about this? I don't think we get enough time to put our own mental health first, you know, and yeah. really what we're talking about is self-care and we just, sometimes you just focus so much on just getting through the day. Yeah, you know, I, I suppose I'm thinking of like government advice to, I don't know, go out for a walk or do some meditation or whatever it yeah. is that you're supposed yeah. to do for your mental health and you just can't. You no, just the can't reality sometimes. is you're just focusing on getting through the day. But, yeah. you know, you don't put your own self-care there. You know, I'm at work. And by the time I come home and get things done and then the single parent and you get your dinner done and all that's like, Mm. I'm exhausted you know mm. don't tell me to go out and get a walk I am because I've just done a day's work and I'm knackered and I'm ready for my feet up yeah you know because you just fight every day to get through it and you have so much going on in your head you know with finances and everything else that it's it's not the reality it's okay for somebody to tell us to go out and get a walk when you know you probably, you know, what you're doing tomorrow, you know, you know what's coming tomorrow. We don't know what's coming tomorrow because you never know yeah. what's going to hit you. Yeah. I, I, th I felt when I was reading that it's basically the government's, they're not looking after people. They're not giving what they need. Um, Social security isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. And by saying, oh, you need to look after your mental health, you're putting that responsibility onto the person, aren't you? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a, just it just felt like, oh, yeah, that was a massive distraction and that's totally missing the point and we're not actually really looking at what we should be looking at. Yeah, the bigger picture of mental health really is our physical health as well. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're living in poverty and you're buying cheap food or you're looking on the free cycle and getting them last minute, you know, near date foods and stuff, it, it has an impact on your physical health. Yeah. It has a knock on. You know, to me, to be able to look after people's mental health, they need to be able to live financially. Yeah. You know, first that needs to be the first step, you know, is to ensure that every household is financially secure. Yeah. Um, that they can actually live on Social Security or, you know, that their work is paying them enough to actually live yeah. um, so that they can have a good physical and mental lifestyle you know it's I think it's very unfair to impose mental health rules on people that are living yeah. on because the reality is it's just not that easy no no um yeah without those things in place you you just can't can you so I mean the stories in the book are very painful um but unfortunately they're not that surprising to anyone even slightly engaged in this area um, and given that we know what happens to people when our system fails them, what do you think it is about our society and culture, which means that we don't listen to their experiences and we don't make changes? Ruth, could you speak to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think just to go 
slightly back as well, like on the mental health one. I think it was really, we talked a bit earlier about our um, big ideas groups. And I remember us having the big ideas meeting when we were talking about um, kind of policy area and like, should we focus on mental health or social security as a kind of mm. focus for like, you know, because they were both coming out as important. And somebody said, well, really, we just need to focus on social security because if we can fix social security, we'll really improve everyone's mental health. And I think that was, yeah. I'll never forget that as kind of, you know, that is that is where the, the issue is stemming from for a lot of the people, um, you know, in the project in terms of where they're struggling with their mental health. It's because the social security system is like almost deliberately sort of, or yeah. suspending them in the insecurity and in, in, in real financial hardship. And then inevitably that impacts negatively on mental health. Mm-hmm. But in terms of that question um, around like, why, why, why does this happen? Like so many well, why reasons. Do, why uh, do we ignore it? What, what, why, why do we, well, I, What's interesting, so I think that we, I think what's interesting though is that how who's ignoring it now? So I think at the moment what we've seen, especially since the pandemic, is we've seen like, or not just since the pandemic for years, but we see a, a government that continues more or less to ignore it or to refuse to act. But I think we are, and you know, it's still not clear yet, but I think some of the public attitudes are shifting actually on this. So I think, and you know, we, we, um, none of us and especially us we're kind of an all women um, podcast but as women we often don't you know blow our own trumpet or but I think COVID realities actually has been part of trying to push out and say look this is the extent and and realities and nature of poverty in the UK today and that's not okay and, and we should be changing that and I think actually that some of I mean Caroline spoke about some of the, the media work she's done Tayaba's you know, done it as well but some of those really high profile um you know, say radio pieces on on today on words at one on pm they they are part of i think pushing back against some of this and so i i guess i would sort of question is it being like who's doing the ignoring now and okay. i think you know i, I mean I, I, yeah. I, I think the government is still um is failing and is ignoring but i would say that maybe we're seeing some shift of the public mood and actually um but you know but then in terms of some of the continued negativeness you know towards people um living mm-hmm. in the stigma that caroline talked about that's so deep rooted in our in our society and in our attitudes that it you know that it's still there isn't it and i think again the the sense of um stigma and shame that is so often associated with poverty and benefits receipt that makes what tybe and caroline and other participants are doing by speaking out it makes it harder because mm-hmm. again as um you know, participants of experience when you do speak out sometimes it's not that nice because you get negative responses on social media you get sometimes members of your family saying oh, I'd really rather you didn't do that because you know I, I don't want them knowing our, our personal details that, that kind of thing so I think these kind of the extent to which like stigma it kind of runs through you know poverty and benefit receipt like a stick of rock like it's very hard to dismantle it but I think um it doesn't you know the more we do to kind of and that's why you know it goes back to what we talked about earlier about humor that actually showing you know and again what Tyber was saying about you know we're, we're in different boats but we're you know we're, we're people just like everyone else and I think showing that depth of human experience really helps to kind mm. of break those um stigmas I guess to me when you when you when you look back at the government when they when they define people that are on social security as economically inactive Mm -hmm. um that's a start you know 
Yeah. Everybody is economically active, you know, because even when you're living on social security, you're still spending money in your local economy. You know, we're actually spending our money in our local towns, villages, where people with money and lots of money are not spending it in their local. They're they're, they're swanning it away. Um, Yeah. You know, and I think that's, there's still a wee bit, I do see a shift, but there's still a bit of a, a them and us mentality, you know, where I suppose people were, you know, well, what about me? You know, and I suppose that's where all the grants and for low income, it kind of created a them and us society where people were, that were struggling, that weren't getting social security, that were really struggling, mm. um, started into this isn't fair, you know, and the energy support that came out, the announcement for that this year was great because every household got it and everybody was happy with it. You know, yeah. there's no them and us mentality in it. Um, But, yeah, I think we just need a proper social security, you know, that everybody knows that they can turn to, Yeah, you know, at some stage. And I guess the reality is nobody's ever really more than, I suppose, two paychecks when the majority of us yeah. were from needing that. Yeah, and it is an entitlement. It's not a benefit, you know. Because to me, furlough, you know, was it's, it's still part of that social security system. And I suppose when people start to realize, well, hold on, I did get furlough, so yeah, I did get social security in some form. It's 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 taxpayers' money. It's everybody's yeah. money. It, it's not somebody else's money. It is our money that's in yeah. that system, you know. And I kind of would always challenge conversations around social security and benefit. And I go, well, our government are the biggest benefit scroungers. You know, the people, yeah. our MPs and our MLAs, because they're, they're they're taking more money out of the system than anybody, you know, and I, they can afford not to. You know, yeah. and I think there needs to be a fair society where people are lifted up. And they get that hand up. You know, we always talked as well. I'm sure Rick will say, we want a hand up. We don't want handouts, you know. And yeah. I think we need to start with the hand up, you know, and bring people up a level, you yeah. know, so that they can actually see a potential in themselves, you know, because the system keeps you down. Yeah, that's that's really important. Yeah, yeah, the system keeps you down. And you keep trying to fight back at it. And people think that you're looking for a handout but you're not you just you know i'm working and i'm on um, universal credit i don't want to be on universal credit i would rather if i was paid properly yeah um, but that's that's not my you know i'm not the one that makes the choice as to who pays me or yeah. is my you know what, what what my rate is but yeah that's, oh. that's you know that's to the government has yeah. fair wages and i suppose a special social security you know for everybody yeah there's a lot going on isn't there there that's like how we describe things how we see ourselves in relation to other people how we make the most of people and yeah have a more level playing field um Tyber, did you have anything you wanted to add there uh, uh, no um Ruth and Caroline mentioned uh, I just want to touch base again on mental health it's a big topic mm-hmm. but during COVID uh, it affected children's mental health a lot yes they never seen this situation. It's very hard for them to understand. People are dying. Yeah. And we can't go and see them or how. And it's very hard for them to understand. Watching TV, it's, it's happening. Everything's world is finishing. So it's, uh, this time was very hard for children. 
and we all are working almost and coming from hospital seeing patient dying and then come home and i need to explain my son and I, at some point i want to cry too yeah. i want to take it out but at hospital i can't but at home i can't because i have my son uh, so that was very hard regarding my mental health and yeah. here comes you know our meeting that i let it go okay this has happened this is what happened sometimes come up with a joke even in this situation yeah uh, and regarding social security i don't want to be on universal credit and it's very simple example if i get 100 pound extra in my salary for extra duty or something mm-hmm. my universal credit will be cut off totally cut off yeah like yes if i earn 100 pounds right extra in my salary that 100 pounds will be cut off from my universal credit yeah. and it said because you have enough money to go for the month so why i'm doing extra duty or, you, you can't know, ever get forward anywhere then yeah no. and so many people say it's a wrong choice to go on universal credit and but it, I think it will be easy yes it's a it's very wrong once you are stuck in this social security you are stuck yeah it's like victim of system yeah 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 um i wanted to speak a bit about kind of cost of living crisis and where you guys all are with the project now and the work you're moving on to um so the fact is is that things are only going to get worse for people now um and we can't go on the way we are so i want that's why i wanted to talk to you about your next steps um, so the COVID realities work, it's not over yet. And you've got a new project called Changing Realities. Um, so Tyaba, can you tell us a little bit about this new project, um, why it's important, especially in the context of the cost of living crisis? Pandemic is not over yet. It's another pandemic, which is long term. Yeah. Which is long term. And it's the cost of living crisis. And that's why the project is changed uh, to Changing Realities. Uh, because mm. it's it will cover everything, cost of living, uh, pandemic, mental health. So everything is there. And what change we need, what support we need, what government need to change, it's all about in that project. How to approach the government people. So we are doing a letter to prime minister also. Oh, right. Like what we, what we want. Yeah, like you, you don't see us, but we are there and we are, so many of us are there. Yeah. So you can't get rid of this situation. No. It's about, you know, it's like taking uh, ha- taking some medicine, but not taking precautions. So you don't get to a point of taking medication. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And it's just knock, knock. <laughs> you, we need support. And we are not asking you to know. Uh, it's not, it's our right. We are not begging. And we are not asking for support forever. It's just go through this situation yeah. so we can stand on our own. We are paying tax. And if people who are not working, their situation don't allow to work. Yeah. And that's why the money is there to support them. Yeah. So they need to listen, not listen, only act. And here comes changing realities project now. So is that the same group of people? from COVID realities or are there like more people involved or? So yes, uh, uh, because it's changing realities, um, uh, we have new people coming in and joining okay. us because they are going through our Twitter, our messages, uh, people are going through our books. 
uh, our oh, new book. Okay. Yeah, so people want to know more. And right. of course, they want to share yeah. their experience, their what they have learned, what their situation was. And here us come like we are group, we are coming as a group now, big group. As um we got to the point of like being about to launch changing realities, one of the things that was something we discussed, you know, um all together with the you know the participants and the researchers, like what do we do? Like, do we keep the new project just for those who've already been part of COVID realities? Mm-hmm. And everyone at the all the participants were really keen you know that no we 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 invite more people to get involved so as Tayaba says it's it's an opportunity for more other people that um you know want to get their voices out there that want to be part of you know trying to make change that people can get get involved um and yeah. Do so, yeah it has to build doesn't it if we can keep building it then that's really important Caroline was there anything that you wanted to say on the um changing realities um yeah well hopefully it'll build you know and it'll grow that voice and grow that network you know across all of the uk um you know when we talk about the cost of living you know everything is going up um you know and people are crying out for their 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 wages to be increased um but we also need social security increased you know because people assume well your lifestyle hasn't changed. If you're at home and you're not working, nothing's changed. But it has changed because the, the cost of still having rent, to eat. <laughs> you still have yeah. to eat. You still have to heat your home. Yeah. You still have to try and do that. You know, you you still have your um, you still have to attend your job search. You still have to look for work. You still have to have the means to be able to look for work and attend work. Um, and that all costs money. You know, and when you're living on a very low income. I mean, I, I was on it um myself for six to eight weeks there because I lost my job just before okay. Christmas. Um, but I started a new job at the end of January. And I can tell you, it's hard. You know, it was really, really hard. Um, I had to turn into the food banks and everything, you know, right. because it just took that two months where I had no income and I was on Universal Credit on its own. I couldn't do it, you know. Yeah. You know, I really feel for people that, you know, are on it and can't see a way out because it's not a nice place to be, you know, and it just I I, I just I, I just don't know where it's where where it's going now, you know, mm. the cost of everything going up and it just seems to be no end. And now we just don't even know if they're even going to raise social security now. Remember, yeah. you know, in the reality is it's not gonna be raised to April if they do raise it. Whereas right now, people are living and making choices between bread and milk, you know, yeah. and they're making choices between heating and eating. Yeah. And well, and the reality is, is that your experience shows that even like as it was before things started to get so expensive, it wasn't yeah. covering it anyway. No, it um, wasn't covering it because I yeah. had a car, you know, so I still had to keep up with my car tax and MOT yeah. and all that. Um, and some people would say, well, just get rid of your car. Well, no, the reality is I can't because I need my car to actually look for work and get yeah. a job. You know, and that's the reality of some people. You know, you have to keep them things, especially in rural areas, because I am in a rural area. Um, mm. and there's no choice in public transport here. No. And I just think... You know, when people would often say, walk in my shoes, I don't think walking in my shoes or any of our shoes for a day is enough. Live yeah. in our reality for at least a month right. and then go back 
and sit in your desk and tell us that that's enough to live on. You know, right. walking on our shoes for a day and all these poverty porn shows, you know, people, rich people going in and living with the poor, the lesser lands. Um, <laughs> it's not reality. You know, going in and filling somebody else's shoes for three days, it's not reality, you know. No. I hope you don't get any of those kind of shows now. I'm not sure you do so much. I don't really know, but that's one of those things, isn't it, that set up this whole them and us and kind of made it, going back to my question about why are we so comfortable with ignoring the fact that all this is happening all around us, there, there, there is this horrible sense of them and us and it allows um, people to get away with not sorting out the problems, I think. It gets think, people off the hook somehow. Yeah, and they don't they don't impact, you know, these they, these shows don't impact on the mental health aspect because here are people that can afford to live a good life, mm. living a life of low income for three days or a week, uh, or, you yeah. know, no more than a week, and going back to their own home. The reality yeah. is they they can suffer and endure that for three days because they know I'm going back home in a few days. Yeah, back to my own money. This is not going to be my problem anymore, you know. And no. it's easy, you know, to endure that for three days, um, potentially with a good full belly before you go into that house. Um, yeah. you know, um, so it's not, you know, they're not reality and they really didn't do a justice at all. It really did create that them and us, and people think, Oh, shit, not that bad. Yeah. And it's just awful because people are dying, right? Now. So yeah. And it is going to get worse. Yeah. Well, we've had doctors already say that children are going to die. Yeah. You know, because of the cold. Yeah. It was a report out today about a young child. And it was clearly evidence that it was the mold in the house that yeah, he died from. I saw that. You know, and that's the reality of cold homes. You know, people, tenants renting houses, maybe in okay condition but when you've no heating on in it for a long time it's not it's no longer okay you yeah. know and that is going to have a detrimental impact on young children you know and that's yeah, yeah. okay and I, oh, oh, sorry. I was say, no 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 i was just gonna say but i think that one of the things that is tricky but important about what we're trying to do you know with changing realities is that when we talk about that context and like the direction of travel maybe like it can feel quite hopeless so you know what what we're seeing is we've seen a pandemic where we had that kind of framing of like build back better and you know we're going to build a better future and then suddenly now we have the cost of living crisis and like where people are just facing unbelievable like you know really intense like hardship deprivation and like a very slow sluggish virtually absent by government response and so how I think against that context we still come together and we try and push for change and and I think what's probably and again I think I can't remember whether it was Tiber or Kaiser at the beginning but there's kind of still hope against that very difficult context but I think that maybe one of the things that is hopeful is again what definitely Tiber talked about earlier is how as a set group of participants in a group working together there is that support for each other so it's about pushing for change building solidarities refusing to be kind of um you know to not to accept the stigma and just be quiet and I think that that 
that is hopeful and that that that's hopeful for wider broader change but it is still we kind of we walk a very difficult kind of tightrope I think because we 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 carry that hope and we hold that hope collectively but we do it in a context that the policy is just you know it's hopeless and we get disappointment and what we're fighting for now with the benefits being to be uprated like in line with inflation that's not enough like hopefully they will do it and you know people are saying now it's you know maybe they will it's it's looking quite hopeful that they might but it's not enough is it because we've still got a social security system that's completely inadequate that that doesn't provide support that doesn't that doesn't enable you know people to to grow and develop in their careers it pushes you know so there's so but I think that's one of the trickiest but best things maybe about the project is that we try and hold that hope against a context that so often feels pretty hopeless um yeah the face of adversity yeah that actually leads me quite nicely to my last question which was to ask you how people can kind of i suppose support changing realities how people can help to make change happen um I think so many books leave us with a heightened awareness of the issues and a feeling that we kind of want to do something, but actually no direction. What I love about A Year Like No Other is that you you give us a manifesto and actually you give us a tick list, a to-do list at the end of the book. Um, so Caroline, can you maybe give us, like what should our next steps individually be? Um challenge your MPs, challenge your MLAs, um, wherever you are in your local devolved government or whatever, mm-hmm. um, call it out, you know, when you see a social stigma or somebody that needs a hand, give them a hand. Yeah. Don't walk blindly past when you see somebody struggling. Um, I guess it's really, it's really about awareness and empathy, mm-hmm. you know, we have hope that that will return. Um, some people, I suppose, have that much going on in their life that they have nothing else to think about. But I think we just need a wee bit of compassion and empathy um, and awareness of what's going on around you. Um, yeah. I think people have lost their community, you know, and the community needs to bring that back in. Um, and just call it out. To me, the biggest thing is calling it out, you know, and support people. Yeah. So actually, so if you hear someone making assumptions about someone, kind of say, hang on a minute, it's probably not that, it's probably this. Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. You don't know what anybody is experiencing, you know, the, the, the judgment on, oh, he's a nice car. There's no way he's living in poverty. You know, the reality is, yeah. he may have worked really hard to pay for that nice car and it's actually his, but now he's yeah. lost his job. You know, but he yeah. still needs that car to go to work. So stop, you know, to get a new job. So you know, stop the judge and you know, stop questioning other people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, but not to turn their head away and not look at them people's lives. Actually, look at them and go, oh, have I missed something? Mm-hmm. You know, to look inside, I suppose, and think, oh, I need, I do need to stop that judging and put my hand out and give them a hand. You know, or. kindness costs nothing you know what I mean and it's the biggest it's it's one thing that we would all talk about is the stigma and the kindness you know and the lack of you know the judgment and that's the kindest thing you can do is just to remove that stigma and judgment and it gives us 
you know, a wee bit more hope and it gives us a wee bit more, I suppose, confidence, you know, yeah. because the stigma is the biggest thing. Yeah, yeah. Tyba, did you have anything that you wanted to yeah. add? Yes, Caroline, uh, summer, summarize everything is very nicely. It's just uh, talk to each other, listen to each other. Uh, there will be light end of the tunnel. And to get to that end, we need to work together. And stigma, I'm coming from Asian community, stigma is there. And sometimes, oh, you are working, you have enough money. Or sometimes people think, oh, she's a single parent. She's getting so much benefit. She's fine. Because you are not going to tell people, knock, oh, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. Just leave me alone. If I need help, I will ask for it. Yeah. But don't put me on a hot seat. So, and support each other as much we can. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that's all I've got. But thank you all very much for taking the time to talk to me today. Um, and yeah, the book is, it's an amazing book. It's full of so many different stories and different views. Um, it's called A Year Like No Other, Life on a Low Income During COVID-19. Um, and it's, well, you can find out more on the Policy Press website, which is policy.bristoluniversitypress.co.uk. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much.